I'll get us there. But but they I'll got land it they, they got to go watch the yeah. first service. It was I mean you need to un that was really beautiful. I'm glad you didn't stop on that one. But do what you do. But Lord, we thank you for our dear brother who helped lay the foundation of this house, one of the fathers of this house. No matter what city he lives in, he'll always be one of the fathers in this house. We ask you to bless the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I knew you were going to get me crying. Well, before I go into this, I first need to say a couple things. Um, I'm so honored to be here. This is my family. I raised my kids here. It's good soil. Um, have very many memories, many encounters with the Lord in this building. You just yawned? Did you really just yawn? I came all the way back after two years, and you yawned. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I had, to, I had to break out of crying, people. I just needed some comedic relief. <laughs> What's your name? I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Come up here. We got a word for you. Anyway, I, I just uh, uh, want to say how honored I am to be back with you. Before I begin, I want to give honor where honor is due. Man, Isaac and Morgan Bennett. My gosh. My goodness. They could have never entrusted me to decorate this place. And to bring the change, I, I literally showed up at eight because I wanted to walk through the teams, the volunteer teams, and feel. And they, your teams are filled with such love. They love well. They smile. They're happy. They're happy people who love well. And I just want to commend you. I just, I felt so honored by your team, so loved. I mean, they gave me an hour and 40 minutes to preach at this service. I mean, I just feel so loved. The children's workers were on board, and I just really appreciate you, everything you've done. But I mean that, I'm playing, but I mean it in all seriousness. Look what the Lord's done. You know, sometimes in the warfare, we lose sight of the gift of God that's emerging. And every season of warfare has within it the seed of redemption to get you to the next place. And, uh, and Isaac and Morgan are one of those seeds. It's one of those sons and daughters that God has brought up. And now they're a father and mother in the house. And just beautiful people. Agreed? Can we agree on that? Just honor them. And uh, so I'm going to jump in. Zechariah 3. I, I'm not going to start there. I'm just going to summarize. Go to another scripture. But we'll end up there because I will get to that story, but I want to at least share a summary version of what I shared the first service. You know, Zechariah 3 is after a season of warfare. How many of you know the season of warfare comes, the evil day comes, and the biblical record is, is the saints don't respond very well in the initial onslaught. I wish we could say that. But Abraham says she's my sister. <laughs> David fakes like he's insane. Drinking water out of mud holes on the run. There are times when the evil one attacks that's mixed with our weakness, 
the rage of Satan and God's sovereignty, and God does it, and the intensity of the warfare is such that you need the blood of the Lamb. How, how many of you have read that in Revelation 7 to 12, that Satan's cast down, and the way you overcome him is the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony? Have you ever wondered, hey, he's talking to the saved, why the blood of the Lamb? Because a lot of times in the evil day, the warfare, Peter denies the Lord. Thomas doubts. The rest just flee. And in the warfare, in the intensity of the warfare, sometimes we find ourselves in the weakness of our frame, the rage of Satan becomes the perfect storm where we don't respond well, and it's out of that place of weeping and brokenness, God comes, and we have to sit down, so to speak, in that pool of blood and remember that when we were powerless, he died for us. In that place where Christ redeemed us, that the calling's not gone. That we're not disqualified. In fact, the guy who denied him gets to be the preacher on the day, right? Where we see that God brings us through a process of suffering into glory, of death into resurrection, and his wisdom to arrange that so that even the intensity of the warfare, the successes, the failings, all of it's working to move us towards that day. So we'll get back to Zechariah 3, but I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 126. This is where I felt like the Lord, what he wanted me to say for this morning, then we'll finish with the story if that's okay. Father, we love you, we thank you, we bless you. There's none like you. In heaven, on earth, there's none like you. And we magnify you, and I thank you that you will fulfill every promise that you've given to your son. And you will fulfill every promise that you've given to your people. And I thank you, God, for this new season of new garments, new mantles, new commissionings to stand among the angels, to walk in the counsel of God. So I thank you, Father. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as in the streams in the south, for those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for the sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Father, we thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Father, send Holy Spirit. He's the teacher. We're the students. We want to learn from him in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved, in Psalm 126, since you're in this Luke 4.18, Isaiah 61 moment, Psalm 126, this Psalm of Ascent, is actually a precursory fulfillment 
of Isaiah 61. Do you remember Isaiah had prophesied 150 years ahead of his time to speak to the captives, the prisoners in Babylonian prison camps. They had been exiled because of their sin. And in that place, Isaiah had prophesied a coming deliverer. Cyrus as the first installment, but a greater Cyrus who would come and set Israel completely free. Ending with, can a nation be born in a day? Thus says the Lord, yes, it will be born. And all the promises that are contained there from Isaiah 60 to 66. But the first installment was that the remnant, the 50,000 from those Babylonian slave camps were released by Cyrus and they went back to the land and as they were marching up to Jerusalem, they would say this psalm. So it's a season of breakthrough. Now, we read that to set at liberty the captives and to open prison bars for those who are enslaved and we immediately spiritualize it, but for that day, it was real prison doors. That day, it was real liberty. 50,000 walking back to the land and imagining them going up to Jerusalem, laughing and singing and celebrating. The season of warfare has ended. Comfort my people. The prophecies are coming true. Can you imagine as they're going up, they're singing after the 70-year season of warfare, of exile, of enslavement. Suddenly, in a moment, the promise is upon them. And now they're walking up. Can you imagine how out of sorts it would have felt as the remnants marching up, laughing and singing, Someone raises his or her hand and says, wait a minute, before the procession goes any further, this is only the down payment. This is not the fullness of what Isaiah prophesied. Only 50,000 out of millions return. This is only the down payment. There's a greater fulfillment to come and we're not going to continue just laughing and singing until that fulfillment comes. And then, then he puts us on notice what the currency was in the previous season that got him out of jail for this season. He goes, hey, let me give you the key for the season of warfare that broke us through to this precursor of breakthrough, and that's going to be the key to get the full breakthrough. It's weeping. You heard him ask the 50,000 as they go up to Jerusalem, what was the key for the breakthrough? Weeping. How many of you know there's a weeping in the warfare season? David called it the broken bone season. These bones which you have broken, may rejoice again. Beloved, there's not singing and dreaming in the broken bone season. There's a prison cell filled with tears. Anybody felt that? The season of weeping. But beloved, here's what I'm to tell you this morning. Do you know how holy those tears are? 
Do you know how holy it is when David's standing at Ziklag and he strengthens himself in the Lord and he goes, Lord, you know my tears. You've collected them in your bottle. Now deliver me, God. His tears become the very apologetic and the, the currency to say, God, deliver me now. Give me the fullness. Tears, weeping. For those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And I could hear this morning the promise. How many of you know the promise contained within it? The testing, the trial, the pain, the delay, the weeping. Then the death to the promise. Then the resurrection. How many of you know the ways of God are crucifixion and resurrection? I really wish it was glory to glory. I really do. I wish somebody would have told me as a young man, hey, it's not glory to glory. I thought it was glory to glory to hallelujah, glory. And then I discovered the ways of God are suffering unto glory, humility unto exaltation, death unto resurrection. And I wish... Jesus was the only one who walked that out until he said, now you take up your cross for your tailor-made promise. Your death for your tailor-made promise and your resurrection. I, I, wish, I wish salvation, I wish, I wish the ways of God were, were uh, how do I say it? I just wish the ways of God were different. It would be easier on my flesh. I wish, I wish they, were, they were from glory to glory, but God, in fact, I wish, I'll just say it this, I'll sum it up because, Mike, I'll get to the story for real. We want evasion from death. God wants resurrection from death. We walk in Christianity like salvation is evasion from death. Salvation is you die and then you come out of the grave on that day with a glorified resurrected body. That's when you're completely saved is when your dead body comes out of the grave and meets your spirit in the air and joins him for the invasion of light to the earth and the glory of God covers the earth like the waters cover the sea, but it's been appointed unto man to die once. Then resurrection. We want evasion. God wants conquest. You want to avoid it and leave it alone. God wants you to go in it and destroy it from the inside out. Like he did. We want evasion. He wants conquest. You want avoidance. He wants confront it and overcome it. And we've got to learn that. Turn with me to John chapter 11. Are you with me? 
You know, promise, how God deals with fallen men and women is he intrigues us through promise. He lures us in through the wedding dance. He plays the flute. He gets us to come. Abraham, leave your father's house. You're going to be a great nation. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. He comes to the land, and the very next verse is, and there was a famine in the land, and he went to Egypt. Joseph, all the sheaves are going to bow down to me. The stars are going to bow down to me. He whispered to me in a dream, I know it's true. Prison. (laughs) Enslavement. That little ruddy-eyed, bright-eyed boy from Bethlehem. That day when the prophet showed up at his house and said, this is the one. This is the one. I'm the one. In fact, Messiah is going to be called the son of David. Didn't know 3,000 paid assassins sucking water out of the desert on the run from, from Saul and his mercenaries. No one told us about that part of the promise. That God arranges this optimal environment that puts us in the wrestle, the warfare, confronts the weakness of our frame. And in the midst of the struggle and the warfare, we weep. And from that place, he brings forth the rarest thing on the earth, enduring love, prevailing faith. That we would not choose unless God put us there in the grave. We wouldn't say yes to it. We would choose glory to glory. He goes, no, I, I, I have one season, this short window before the next age to produce something called tears. The next age you can't die and you can't cry. No more weeping. No more tears. No more death. This is the one season where you can show your love in the warfare. This is the one season when you're being crushed and deep calls unto deep and it moves God. It's the currency of the breakthrough of love in this age. And in John chapter 11, we're going to find out this young maiden, this little girl named Mary, who sat at his feet and learned of his kindness, that she can gaze on him. She's got the locked gaze, the adoring gaze. She dares to sit at his feet, and he lets her stay. She sees that face of Jesus, and now he's going to bring forth wholehearted love. How does he do it? He begins with the locked gaze. But the next face of Jesus is going to surprise her. We love to teach on Luke 10, 38 through 42. We love it. The adoring gaze, sit at Jesus' feet, look upon him. This is amazing. Mary of Bethany. And we love to talk about John 12, Mary of Bethany pouring everything out. But if you look at the very beginning of John chapter 11, John tells us that this Mary of John 11 is the same Mary who poured it all out in John 12. In other words, the apostle goes, hey, you like the first story in Luke 10, sitting at his feet, and you love the thought 
of joining Mary and pouring everything out, John 12. Hey, you can't get from Luke 10 to John 12, but through John 11. Look at it with me. This is the unpreached picture of Mary. It's the, it's the less discussed chapter of her life. Now there was a certain man was sick, Lazarus the Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Do you see it? The apostle of love, John, waves his hand and goes, hey, I know you want to skip on to John 12, the happy ending, but it's this same Mary. It's this Mary. It's the crucible of this chapter that produces that kind of love. Don't you skip it. Don't you skip a good season of trial. Don't skip it. It's the way of love. This is where the rarest form of love is produced. It says, therefore the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now you've got some things to wrestle through here. The first thing is, why does he choose the ones he loves? And what is the glory he's after? If he's after just raising Lazarus as a sign of his messianic identity so that people would believe, he doesn't have to choose somebody he loves. He can choose a Pharisee. If he just needs a rotten, stinking corpse, a dead person who smells really bad and is decomposing, he can choose his enemies. He can choose anybody. If it's just a rotten, stinking, four-day-old corpse that brings the glory, but I want to submit to you, it's not a corpse, a rotting, decomposing corpse Raising it, that's the glory. It's the heart of this little girl that's going to partner with him for resurrection. That's the glory. So he chooses the ones he loves. Now that's unnerving to us. We don't like that face of Jesus. We're like, if you treat your friends this way, And then Jesus loves them so much, he's going to set up a tension. And the tension is going to be through the promise. The death of the promise. And the tension is going to be through what we thought the promise was going to look like. And what it actually looked like. How many of you know the prophetic history reads more sexy than the living of the prophetic history. I've listened to it a million times. Not literally, but a hundred at least. And it is so thrilling every time I listen. And then when I get done, I go, oh, I've been living that. 
And it's not nearly as sexy as when I heard the tapes. And the Lord might go, well, that's because I love you. You're one whom I love. And God in his kindness arranges the optimal environment for a prophecy and then fulfilling it in a way that we didn't think. Look at it with me. He gives it. This sickness is not unto death before the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you that sounds like he's going to go to Lazarus and heal him? How many of you think, come, come on people, are you awake? Are you with me? I, I did, hey, did they talk to you anymore when you preach, Isaac? You got to start talking to me. Are you with me? Okay. I thought I was at IHOP. How many of you thought that when Jesus prophesied this will not end unto death before the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified? How many of you thought that means I'm going and healing the one I love? How many of you thought that meant I'm delaying two days so he can die and get really rotten and smell bad? You would have never guessed it had that in there. How many of you think which word is more pastoral? This will not end unto death before the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified through it. That's one option. The other option is, hey, I love you, I love you, and I love your brother. But he's going to die. He's really going to die. And tell him to die well as a witness to the next age of the resurrection. He needs to die well. But I need to tell him I need his body really rotten, smelling, decomposing, worms and all. I need it all because I'm going to do a miracle and I'm going to raise him from the dead. It's a temporary four-day thing. Tell him to die well. Let me ask, which one feels more pastoral? This will not end in death, but for the glory of God that the, that the Son of God might be glorified. How many of you vote that's more pastoral? See, this is IHOP. Y'all won't vote against Jesus ever. But I know what you really think. Or the second one. He ain't going to strike you dead, people. But what you have to wrestle with is the fact that Jesus gave it that way. And it's the most pastoral because it puts... Mary and Martha in the crucible because he's not looking at just what they will produce in their heart. He's looking what their heart's going to produce in his heart. See, we, we don't really believe we're in partnership with God. We really think we're in a, just this strict, stale sovereignty where you can't impact him. And he's trying to convince you you're more important in the game than you know. Your tears are more important. Your weeping's more important. Your groaning's more important. Your response is more important. Your actions in the pain are more important. And he's actually wanting to get you to a place that will move him. We want to, in the warfare, check out. And just wait for sovereignty. And he's wanting you in the crucible. For something to be produced. Martha comes to him. 
she says to him a question that's going to be asked three times. Three times it will be asked, only one time will it cause a resurrection. She says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, whatever you ask the Father, I know he will give it to you. What a statement of faith. The problem is Jesus knows he can ask whatever he wants in the perfect will of the Father, and the Father will give it to him. That's not new information to him. That's just theology. He wants somebody who's actually going to ask him and pull it out of him. She wants sovereignty to bail her out. Hey, even now, you can ask. You and the Father, y'all just do it. Aside from human partnership, Jesus wants the bride. He wants the partner. He wants the love. He wants the wrestle. He wants the pain and out of it to love in spite of all the facts. In spite of what you see. Jesus says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. Now she, now she lets Jesus off the hook. I know he'll rise again at the last day. See how she just let him off the hook? Great theology, by the way. She believes actually in the resurrection of the dead. That's a massive statement of faith. But she let him off the hook. She deferred to the next stage. She let Jesus out of the wrestle, and she got out of the wrestle through sovereignty and through theology. She let him off the hook. I know you'll raise him at the last day. He goes, I am the resurrection. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he who believes in me will never die. Do you believe, Martha? In other words, don't you let me off the hook. Can you imagine God saying to a human being, don't you let me off the hook. Don't you get out of the pain. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. Do you believe? Guess what she does? Again, a theological answer. I believe you are the Christ, the one sent into the world. Love, do you know that's probably those three statements of Martha are some of the best theology of Jesus in the whole Gospels? And yet it does nothing to him. He's not wanting your statement of faith. He, he wants a living transaction of your heart to his heart. So he can't find what he's looking for. He can't get a resurrection out of that. So he's looking for Mary. Mary comes. She falls. She weeps. And she's going to say the same question. But this time, she's not letting him off the hook. She falls. She doesn't accuse. But she doesn't let him off the hook. She embraces the pain. She falls. She weeps. She worships. Then she asks, Lord, if you would have been here. Through tears. Through tears, if you would have been here. You see, it's not a theological debate. It's an intimate transaction. I thought I knew you. You said. You said. Have you ever been there? You said God as you're weeping. And in the pain, she lays hold of his heart. Through tears, it moves him. 
Do you know the rarest form of love? In the pain, you refuse to give up. What are you refusing to give up on? Him. She won't give up on him. She lays hold of him to be him. I don't know if you understand anything I'm saying right now. Do you hear me? I'm not saying that as like a proud thing. I'm saying, beloved, we're the prayer people and we think we're going to bypass this. You aren't getting out of this. And the bigger the promise, the bigger the tears. Look what happens when she does this. And beloved, if you don't get this, if you don't get the fact Lazarus is dead and the promise is dead, you won't understand. Don't give me your hyper faith. Don't say, well, Lazarus seems to be dead. He's dead. In fact, Jesus just says to the disciples, they go, hey, if he's, Jesus said, I'm going to go wake him up. Well, don't wake him up. He's sick. He needs to sleep. He's dead. It's a metaphor. I'm actually big enough to use figures of speech. He's dead. That's what Jesus said. He's dead. The promise looks dead. Until Mary weeps. <laughs> Until Mary lays hold of him. Lord... She doesn't accuse, but she doesn't let him off the hook. I'll love you whether I get it or not, but you be you. You said this. I didn't make this up. Those were your words. You brought me into your storyline through the promise. You intrigued me. You tricked me with your beauty. And out of that place, look what happens. When Jesus saw her what? Weeping. I don't think we understand the currency before God of tears shed in love and the pain. And then God groaned in the spirit. What happens when God groans in the spirit? What happens when God begins to pant? What happens when he begins to wail like a woman in childbirth? What happens? I'll tell you what happens. Isaiah 42 happens. The mountains split. The earth laid waste. And the salvation of God breaks in for the entire planet. He begins to groan. Her groaning, her weeping causes God's groaning. And that's all he was waiting for. That's what he was waiting for. The glory isn't a dead corpse coming out of the grave. A glory is a human heart who loved him in the pain and comforted his heart and brought him into the storyline. Beloved, I am convinced Psalm 2, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. Well, Jesus is asking, but he's asking somebody else to ask with him, to weep with him, to groan so that he'll groan. And then Jesus wept. Then the story's over. 
once Jesus, he groaned and then he wept. Her weeping called forth his weeping. And when her weeping and his weeping, her deep and his deep came together, resurrection of the promise. And then the beauty happens. Now Mary's free. She knows the currency. She got the breakthrough in her promise. So that now in John 12, there's another death and resurrection coming. But this time it's the son of God for the salvation of the world. And because she got her breakthrough of the promise, now she enters in with him and anoints him for his burial and comforts him in the moment of his weeping and his suffering. And a human being gets to comfort and anoint God for the day of salvation and favor. See, we want, we want this sovereignty where he does it all. We don't want to really enter into partnership. We say we want bridal paradigm, but do we? Do we want to really enter in? Do we want to be the prayer people? Do we want to intercede? Do we want to let the pain touch us? Do we want to let the sorrow lead us to a place of weeping? We don't like tears. It's messy. We don't like the warfare. We like evasion, avoidance. And Jesus is going, I love you. You're the ones I love, I hop. You're the ones I love. And so, God's given you a Luke 4.18 breakthrough for your promise so you can enter into his Luke 4.18 heart for Israel. Let me tell you, the weeping's not going to end. You're going to get the breakthrough so you can go into his pain now. You're getting your breakthrough like Mary got her breakthrough so you can come comfort. You can spend it all, everything you have now on his weeping over his people, Israel. You know what Diane said to me in the back? She goes, God spoke to me as you were speaking that the degree of our wholehearted love is dependent on the degree of our willingness to remain broken. Beloved, your promise is being fulfilled. But as you're entering into your dream and singing season, you know why he's bringing you into your dream and, and singing season? So you can enter into his weeping season for Israel to be saved. For the nations to come to him. So we can enter into the Psalm 126. The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Now I'll tell you the story. Because when the season of warfare began, I'm standing at the 10 years as you were getting your breakthrough. Corey and I were getting our individual promise breakthroughs. When it suddenly hit me, my breakthrough so I can enter into his weeping, that he gets his breakthrough. He, he wails and cries out like a woman in pain and labor so that Israel might be saved. The real fulfillment, the fullest, it's not real, it's the fullest fulfillment of Isaiah 60 to 66. But it began with this in Fredericksburg 10 years ago, almost to the day, almost to the day 
I went with Corey to Fredericksburg. It was after the awakening had ended. And if some of you know, during the awakening, while people were getting healed, my body was getting just ravaged. I didn't know what was happening. Corey's wife, Dana, had had a couple miscarriages and it had broken her heart. And we were weeping. We flew to the conference together and we were staying in the same hotel. And as we were there, we were weeping together. And, and I went to bed that night. My son Samuel and I were there in the, in the room and I went to bed praying, Lord, you know what? Could you give me a dream to understand? How many of you go, you know, sometimes understanding just helps, just helps. It doesn't alleviate the pain, but it helps. At least you know why the pain's there. So I have a three-scene dream. And the first scene of the dream is an article in real life that I'd written for ministry uh, today called Standing at the Critical Juncture that I'd written, and that article was Joel 2 calling the nation back to repentance and prayer. Do you remember that back in 2011, repentance and prayer? And Corey and I were preaching on Joel's two trumpets, the first trumpet of judgment and the second trumpet of the sacred assembly, repentance, prayer, fasting to get the breakthrough. So I'd written that article, and in the article I end it with, are we closer? I wish I had time and a whiteboard. Josiah started at 640. His reign ends at 609. And Joel is written at, at 640 when there's going to be a lull of 31 years for the nation to turn in repentance. But if they don't really turn and repent, if it's just Josiah's reform instead of Israel's revival, 605 will come and Nebuchadnezzar will be on your doorstep. And in that lull, there's a lull of the judgment of God between the locust plague and the military invasion that God gives time because he's patient with his people so they can turn and do Joel 2. And I ask the question, are we in Josiah's time or is Jeremiah already in the land? In other words, where are we at in that lull? The fathers have been warning us, Bill Bright, Billy Graham, have been warning us to turn back to God. Where are we at? And in the dream, the Lord actually answers and tells me that Josiah is a young man now. That we're closer to judgment than we are to Josiah. He hasn't stood up yet, but he's in his hometown about to be commissioned. And that I'm gripped by that. And then I go down to the comments and in the comments are all witches and warlocks commenting on the article. And I didn't know if it was actually witches and warlocks or Christians with opinions. And there was a warlock who was putting curses on me and my family. And I went through that warlock's comment and I end up in his apartment. In that apartment, he's sending pornography out across the earth. He's got tattoos and a python wrapped around him, and he's cursing me, my family, my marriage, my children, my ministry, and other Christian ministries and marriages, and he's just cursing. It's foul, and I hear it's witchcraft. And I say to the Lord, you mean it's the spirit of witchcraft? 
not like an actual person. And he says, no, it's witchcraft. And then I go from that second scene to a third scene where I'm standing out in a field with young people everywhere. And the beginning of revival has started. And Bob Jones is there and he embraces Corey Russell. And I know the season of warfare is over and Corey, they're saying, Psalm 126, the Lord's done great things. The Lord's done great things. And I know it's those who sow in tears will reap in joy and the breakthroughs come. Well, what I don't know, well, anyway, I wake up the next morning, I'm so giddy that I had a dream. I just tell Corey, I, I, I had a dream. I need to tell you. So I tell him the dream at breakfast. Suddenly an elderly woman walks up to me and goes, hey, are you Alan Hood? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, my name's Bonnie Jones, and my husband Bob and I would like to have breakfast with you. Now I'm terrified. I'm going through everything in my life to see if there's any sin. I'm about to sit with a prophet of the Lord. It's good to do that, even when the prophet's not there. But I began to do that, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll have breakfast. I sat down, and he begins like this. You boys been preaching Joel, hadn't you? Yep, you've been preaching Joel. Because you've been calling the nation back to God. Repentance, prayer, fasting for the breakthrough. He goes, yep, judgment's coming. I used to think only revival's coming, but both are coming. The Lord showed me. And then he said, only a small percentage of the church is actually saved. I'm spending my whole life calling the church back to God before judgment and revival comes. Now, I just want to say that whoever is a son of, would say, Bob Jones is my spiritual father, then you have to embrace, I mean, there's, there's a message there. The prophetic message. And he goes on, and the next hours, I, I, honestly, it was delightful and bizarre. I, 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 it was just like, as he's reading my mail, and I just going, I've never experienced this. I've heard stories of it, but now I understand what Mike says in the prophetic history. This is delightful and strange all at the same time. And then he looks at us and he goes, I'll never forget, he looks at us, he goes, yep, and witchcraft tried to kill you boys. Yep, I can still see the pythons wrapped around your chest, Corey, and the teeth marks in your neck. And then he begins to elaborate on that. And I, I've heard of Bob actually praying for people to be delivered from witchcraft and they've been sick for decades and God break in and heal in a moment. And so I said, you know, Mr. Jones, prophet, sir, <laughs> you know, I was scared to death. I was like, Mr. Jones, would you pray for us to be delivered from that? He goes, no, I ain't doing that religious thing. <laughs> he goes, what do you think I've been doing the last hour and a half? And I thought, it didn't feel like prayer. <laughs> Felt like talking. <laughs> he goes, what do you think I've been doing the last hour and a half? He goes, he goes you've been weeping, ain't you? You've been weeping, ain't you? And I, I, honestly, it got really serious at the point. I said, yeah. Seems like that's all we've been doing 
since the awakening is weeping. And he goes, well, weeping gets the witchcraft out of your eyes. See, witchcraft comes to put dust in your eyes where you can't perceive the fruitfulness of your past season. And keeps you from seeing the hope of your fruitfulness in the next season. It gets in your eyes so you'll quit. He said, but weeping gets the witchcraft out of your eyes. And then he looks at us and goes, just keep weeping. You'll be all right. He goes, y'all's ministry's good. Y'all be all right. Just keep weeping. Well, beloved, that led to a 10-year weeping. My body would continue to break down. All sorts of trials would come. Corey would lose. Corey and Dana would lose their nine-month-old son. She put him down for a nap, and he never woke up. That began a nightmare as they tried to overcome the deep grief and pain as Dana began to drink. That family began to almost be destroyed. I got her permission to say that, by the way. As their lives began to spin, the devastation of that would take years and years. But this is a Luke 4.18 season. What I didn't know is that same day Bob Jones had prophesied in Fredericksburg to David Bradshaw that you were going to have a tent, a millionaire's going to give you a tent and y'all are going to go from city to city in this tent and hot dog vendors and food trucks and young people as far as the eye could see and revival's going to begin to break out and this and this and this and this and it's the season of revival. But before that, I didn't know this prophecy until about two weeks ago. I wish I had known it. But he goes, but before that, you're going to have a season of warfare that's going to be very intense. He said, I was wrestling all night with a warlock. And you're on the enemy's radar. You're going to go through an intense season. So, to make a long story longer, <laughs> to, to try to sum it up, I believe that third scene just happened. You got your breakthrough the next weekend. I didn't know it, but David Bradshaw, someone bought him a massive tent to go from city to city. He's coming to his bookend season of 10 years of horrible warfare. And here we are, the maiden voice, God tells me right before November, move to the D.C. area, join David and call the prayer, prayer movement in D.C. back to Jesus and to concede revival to no political figure. That is dependent on one man who sits at the right hand of God and begin to cry out for Daniel 7, Isaiah 6 encounter with Jesus for a breakthrough of God. So I just find myself there in Fredericksburg again right as the tent comes and we have the maiden voyage, so to speak, this last weekend. And I feel like, oh, it's in a field. It's a tent. There's going to be young people out the wazoo coming to this thing. Danielle, you were there. And 
that day, that morning of the first morning, I felt led to say, Corey Russell, you, you've got to get here. You're supposed to be here. You can have my session. You've got to be here. So him and Dana came that morning, Misty Edwards. I don't have time. I wish I did, but it was one of the most powerful messages on grace. Zechariah 3 where she didn't adjoin the accuser of the brethren. She needs to preach it here. It was powerful. And she heard a song where Jesus was singing, You don't know what it's like. I can't sing it. You don't know what it's like to love somebody, to love somebody the way I do. Jesus wouldn't join the accuser. When it looks like the promise is dead and the church isn't going to make it, Jesus said, My love for her. Is enough. You join the accuser because you don't know the depth of my love for my bride. But I, and she gave a message on grace and the breakthrough, Zechariah 3, the rebuking of the accuser and the bringing the body into fullness. And I, oh, it just washed me. And then Billy Humphrey got up. God gave him a dream to preach on Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And when he spoke, the Holy Spirit broke out and everyone's weeping. And Dallas in the upper room and the welling women and the women at the well, Travel just broke out for hours and hours as weeping filled the tent. It didn't stop at lunch. It just kept going right into the women's solemn assembly. And during the women's solemn assembly, as Dana's on the stage weeping and weeping and Corey's over her weeping and weeping and the women are around her and we're just weeping and weeping. Dana picks up the microphone. And she tells the story of 10 years of struggle. 10 years of brokenness. 10 years of warfare. And then she said, but on February 21st, Jesus came to me. Four steps forward, five steps back. Six steps forward, eight steps back. When's the breakthrough coming? She said, Jesus came to me and I saw Nash standing with him. And he healed me from the trauma of my miscarriages and the loss of my child. A month later, he came to me again. He removed the shame of my failure of the last season. She's weeping. Do you know how risky it is for somebody of that stature to tell that kind of story from the public platform? She tells it. She wanted to tell it. She's weeping. Everybody's weeping. And their leader, Michael Miller, comes up and kneels down beside her. And he reads from the Song of Songs, Who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Hold on one second. You're a few seconds early. He says it again. Who is this leaning on her beloved? Coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on the beloved. And he waved his hand and he shouted, It's Dana! It's Dana! And we went from weeping to drunk in the spirit in T minus two seconds. The whole place erupted in joy. 
For the rest of the gathering, there were salvations, healing, deliverance, young people being baptized, the Spirit of the Lord moving with healing. In fact, when he said, it's Dana, a girl with a fractured leg was immediately healed and ripped off her cast, and she's running around going, the Lord healed me. We find ourselves in that Luke 4, 18 moment. That's Psalm 126, birth. And at the same time, my dear friend got the breakthrough. I said, I got to go celebrate the season change. I got to go tell my father I love him. I'm happy. I'm not with you, but I'm with you. And you got to know it. I love you dearly. I love my family dearly. But can I tell you something? As you come up out of the wilderness leaning on your beloved, <laughs> he's got a beloved that he's weeping over. And he's going to invite you into that. But not out of trauma. Not out of brokenness from trauma. But out of wholehearted love. You're going to enter his broken heart. You're going to weep for Israel. And you're going to begin to partner with him and comfort his heart. You say, Alan, what's the message this morning? It's a new season. Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And at the same time, you've been released from your season of warfare. So you can join Jesus for her season of warfare to end. I want to invite you to stand. I want to ask for, first, Lord, confirm your word through signs and wonders. Release your healing power right now. Release it. And then number two, I want to ask for the Holy Spirit to attend because the Isaiah 61 anointing is going to catapult us into an Isaiah 62 identity and intercession. That's where this is going. I keep hearing Bob Jones in my head. I told you. I told you. Not just what he told me, but what he told us. I told you you're going to be on that land. I told you you're going to be a spiritual advocate and intercessor for the salvation of his. I told you. Just close your eyes if you want to. Put your hands out. I'm going to ask for the fire of intercession to come. Just a fresh commissioning for Isaiah 62. Come Holy Spirit. Invite us in to comfort the Lord's heart. Break off the trauma of the last season. Lift the trauma. Break the power of witchcraft. Break it. Break it, God. Rebuke the accuser. 
Drive back that foul devil. Deliver us. Give us new garments so we can comfort your heart. Comfort our hearts so we can comfort your. Bring us in. So, Lord, I ask you to confirm your word right now with the spirit of burning fire. For an Isaiah 62 intercession, for an Isaiah 62 messenger, the forerunner spirit, to say to Zion, you are not forsaken. Come, Holy Spirit, release your fire right now. Release your power. Fire on the lips. Fire on the hands. Fire on the heart. Fire on the ears. To prophesy to Israel. Come, Lord. Now you talk to him. You ask him. Release it. Now, if you're here and you feel that fire resting upon you, you feel that burden for Israel, you go, the Spirit's attending to your spirit. You go, that, yes. You're going, yes. Then I want to invite you forward. I want to pray for you. Diane said that to me at halftime, in between the service. She said, the Lord spoke to me. The degree of our wholehearted love is to the degree of our willingness to be broken for the things that he's broken for. So, Lord, bring us out of our trauma to join you in your intercession. Let our tears, I just keep hearing IHOP. You know how holy your tears have been. This thing will not end in death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God will be glorified through it. Your resurrection, Israel's resurrection, will be like life from the dead for the whole world. So come, Holy Spirit, mark us, encounter us in this new season. Ask for a fresh infilling of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. To say to Zion, you are not forsaken. You are not forsaken. Hear the word roaring as thunder With a new future to tell For the dry season is over There is a cloud beginning to swirl to the sky heavy with blessing lift your eyes offer your heart Jesus Christ open the heavens now we receive the Spirit of God. We receive your rain. 
sorrow You will call forth in its time Cause you are Lord, Lord of the harvest You're calling our hope now to us
I just want to give you permission to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Father, release it. Release it. Release your travail for Israel. Your weeping for Israel. Your heart, your tears. Do it, God. Release it, Lord. More, more. Increase. Increase. Increase.
you're under the age of 35. You're under the age of 35 and you're going, I want to be marked with this revelation for the salvation of Israel. I want to put my heart in front of Jesus' heart. I want to know what he weeps over. I already know what the apostle Paul weeps over. He groans, the spirit bears witness that he wished he were a curse for this nation to be saved. If you're under 35 and you go, I want my heart to be marked afresh, just wave your hand. I felt like there's a new commissioning. I felt like as I was here in 1999, when Mike commissioned the house of prayer, I felt like there was a new commissioning on the young adults. Wave your hand like this. Now gather around them wherever those hands are raised. Moms and pops who have been carrying this burden for decades, gather around them. God, we ask for a fresh move of the Spirit. A fresh move of the Spirit. Mark them by the Spirit of burning. The Spirit of burning, that fire of the Holy Spirit. Mark them. Mark them. Meet them. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Zion's sake, mark them. Mark them. Set them apart. Put them on the wall for Jerusalem. Oh, Matthew, weep. Matthew, weep with him. Comfort his heart. Comfort his heart, Matthew. Weep. Weep. Weep for the fallen of Israel. Weep, young man. Come, Holy Spirit, increase. Thank you. 